podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Lakeside Drive's special summer series. I'm Freya Brolsma and to kick things off with our first episode of the series, we wanted to get everyone on the same page with what IndyCar is all about, how it works and have a chat about some of the key things to know if you're going to watch your first IndyCar race. Also, for those listeners who do watch Indy, we'll see if we can find a few things that might just surprise you. To have this conversation, I needed to find someone who knows more than I do about this racing category and who is keen to welcome new fans to the sport and share their knowledge. My guest today is all of those things and so, so much more. Ash Vandelay, welcome to Lakeside Drive. Hello, thank you for having me. Great to have you here. Perhaps you could start off just by telling our listeners how you first got introduced to motorsport. Sure. How much time do we have? I'm kidding. Uh, I'll, I'll keep it as short. As long as you need. <laughs> no, as long as you want. <laughs> For anyone listening, this was actually a four-hour story, but we edited it down to two minutes. Um, so <laughs> I started uh, 2005, 2006, uh, depending where you want to start Robert Kubica's career as reserve or just jumping straight into Formula One. My dad came into my room because my parents immigrated from Poland to the United States and said, hey, we have to support our fellow countrymen. And I was like, okay, cool. That means I get to hang out with my dad and not do chores <laughs> Saturday mornings. Like, <laughs> sounds great. So I started watching Formula One pretty frequently with my family. I think growing up in America, you just know about NASCAR. It was just kind of in commercials mm-hmm. or ingrained in some way. Like, you've always just heard about it. I went to college in Florida, and that's where I started watching more NASCAR. Went to a NASCAR race. I also went to an IMSA race down there because the Daytona 24 and whatnot. And just mm-hmm. some people who were generally interested because I went to a kind of techie school, so some folks were interested in motorsports. And yeah, I kind of just, just, just grew my interest in motorsports that way by hanging out with people who liked it, would answer all my annoying questions while watching the sport. And um, yeah, Formula One was probably the first one, but grew since then. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like it. Look, that wasn't long at all. That was pretty succinct. But I love that it came from that kind of, I suppose, uh, national alignment with yes. Robert Kubica. That's amazing. I remember actually when I was in Miami for the Grand Prix, I met somebody whose name was Tona and the way that, and I kind of said, oh, sorry, could you repeat that? And she said, Tona, like Daytona race course. And I, was like, <laughs> I love that you could introduce yourself in that way. That's so special. Um, so you've been obviously watching motorsport, Formula One, but also, also lots of other categories for some time now. Sim racing came a bit later, as I understand it. How did the pandemic contribute to you finding your new community in esports? I've, the pandemic... Uh, contributed to just me starting to stream and start whatever mm. it is that I do, or people say that any content creator or, or <laughs> whatever definition we're giving ourselves now. Um, I think like every, a lot of folks can relate that my, my mental health started rapidly declining more. I have general anxiety, but during the pandemic, I'm sure doom scrolling, it was very, um, so my therapist recommended that mm. I start a motorsport community. Cause I found communities and games that I play like Stardew Valley, um, Sea of Thieves, like I found other streamers who would play those games and I I hung out in their chats and my therapist suggested I start one for motorsports. And I was like, oh, okay, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Can I call my therapist crazy? Well, I did. So that was a goal we worked towards. (laughs) And December of 2021, Gosh, it's been it's been eighty four years. I don't know when the pandemic yes, has started. Yeah, 
Um, 100%. The start of that, we're probably talking 2020, I suppose. Yeah, December 2020. Oh, yeah. Okay. Formula One 2020 season. So I started streaming December 2020. Oof, that was rough. Um, and yeah, then I started streaming the Formula One 2021 season. And then, of course, a lot of people were still, you know, pretty restricted or they just wanted to be restricted just to keep some parents safe for any high-risk individuals they had living at home. Uh, so a lot of folks just watched along. And I think a natural progression streaming Formula One watch along, someone suggested to play the F1 game because the audience overlaps. So you would think you either find people mm. to come watch or come watch you stream the game. So you want to do that a little bit, a little bit of marketing. Streaming the Formula One game, Tony Kanan stopped into chat. Long story short, I didn't think it was the actual Tony Kanan, but it turns out it actually was the real Tony Kanan. And, <laughs> um, <laughs> and then he graciously, very nicely, I always appreciate this because no one ever has to do this, right? Like, it's nice just to stop by and say hello. Mm. But he also gifted me three months of iRacing. And he said, like, hey, I think you might enjoy this. Try it out. If you don't like it, it's fine. But try cool. it out. Um, yeah. Now I'm sucked into the cult of iRacing. And yeah, it's just a community-based <laughs> thing. I think a lot of folks are used to sim racing being, I don't want to say super sweaty, because you should be respectful in sim racing, right? In iRacing, a lot of people take it a little bit more seriously. Um, it's a little bit, it is a little bit more serious. They scan the cars, they scan the tracks. So you do want to be respectful of it. Yeah. But I definitely prefer to hold open lobbies, for example, with my community, because we are, we range from mm -hmm. all different skill sets that I don't want to feel, and sure, be respectful, because even though it's not an official race, but you know, we can, you can make a mistake. Like it's okay. Like in my lobby, like if you don't know, yeah. if you're not slow, if you're slow, it's totally fine. Um, but also yeah. if you're super speedy, we'll have like lobbies for those. Like we try to cater to everyone in the community because it gets a little, it definitely gets intimidating if you don't practice enough or you swim race once a week. Um, mm -hmm. So we definitely try to stay on the educational fun. Yeah. Come try it out. Or if you have any questions, if you want to get better, someone who's faster is going to help people who are slower and want to get better, like race behind them and see their line, things like that. So that's kind of one leads into another. And now we're in esports. Yeah. That's amazing. It sounds like you've kind of taken that, I suppose, community-centered and inclusive approach to your motorsport generally into how you've entered and kind of into that world as well. You mentioned earlier, um, you know, what are we calling ourselves these days in terms of a streamer or a content creator? Um, and there are lots of different, I suppose, categories that people put themselves in. How do you describe what you do in terms of the new terminology for some people? That's a great question. I think I just say content creator because people understand that a little bit more now. You could say influencer, yeah. but I think that's now has a certain connotation, which mm. sometimes it's bad. It shouldn't be bad, but it is to certain people yeah. that, oh, you're just an influencer. And it's like, no, I actually, I do know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I do know, or yeah. if I don't know what I'm talking about, I also <laughs> say this on my stream, like I'm not above Googling things. Like we're all learning. And that's why I like yeah. motorsports. We're constantly learning something new. There's different rules every single time, new drivers coming in, new things I have to consider. I'm not a scientist. I don't know aerodynamics for that well. So- yeah. I mean, yeah, influencers comes with a negative connotation. I just say content creator because I then you say you I create content around educational aspects of motorsport and women in motorsport, and then people understand that. So I, I just go with content yeah. creator. It just seems like a nice blanket term. Sure. And then you can provide more detail as people become curious, I suppose. And right. you're now with Red Bull as a content creator. Hey. How did that pairing come about? <laughs> uh, ooh, that's a great question. How did it come about? I spoke to them for, I think, a year before I signed kind of like a back and forth. They were trying some things out and just checking. I don't know, because when a company sees a content creator, they're like, I think it, Motorsports is kind of behind. They're like, how can we utilize this person? Mm. I have my crab hands as a company. Yeah. Um, I was like, how do we use this? How do we use this content creator? <laughs> and... 
fashion does a really good job. I think we've all seen content creators, influencers in the fashion realm going to fashion shows, like posting new looks from whatever they were gifted, these PR boxes. But like motorsports is so far mm-hmm. behind that. It's just they, they just don't know like, literally what to do with their hand. Like they don't know what to do <laughs> with people yeah. such as myself. <laughs> and I'm sure like your, your podcast and such, they're starting to get it. I think with the help of a lot of folks like coming in and like guiding them the right way and what to do. Mm-hmm. But it's still very much new. Like they don't understand PR packages. So it's like, I, oh gosh, sorry. I'm going on a rant. I was like, they should, they, there's a lot of things they can do. There's a lot of opportunity. So we welcome rants here. Not to worry. <laughs> that's so many. Um, so with Red Bull, I think I was just, I was just creating content. I was kind of in contact with them. I was there building up their team and then very fortunate for me. They're like, Hey, are you interested in joining for the 2023 year? Um, if you want to sign for the year and then negotiate from there. But I, they mostly saw that I was one sim racing Two, creating educational content. Three, doing watch-alongs. And that's helpful in the realm of you are a discussion-based, community-based, helping new people find the sport or answering questions about the sport, being relevant. Um, I, I do see, one thing I do want to write about is that I, I do see a lot of folks saying like, oh, why don't I get invited to the paddock? Or like, why don't I get those tickets? Like, I'm a content creator. And I was like, yes, you are. Mm-hmm. It might not be the content Formula One needs. I'm not sure Formula One needs another meme page. And I love your memes. Yeah. I love memes. If I if you're a meme page, I have watched <laughs> it and it's great. But Formula One currently doesn't value that. So they're like, why do I need to invite this mm. meme page in? Like, what are you going to do for me? Create memes, like, which is kind of like making fun of the team, which is fine. Like, it's cheeky. It's tongue in cheek. But like, Williams is not going to invite you in if you're making fun of them on your meme page, right? <laughs> like, they, don't, yeah. they don't want that kind of press. They just want you to come in and enjoy what it is. So F1, everyone knows, they, I've been told, they know like who, who it is, like who's there, who's around, who's creating content around. Um, they are, they are aware. So, mm. uh, it's either you're not fitting into what they're looking for right now. It doesn't mean you never will. Cause things like the tides change, mm. trends change. You could be doing something super trendy like that's people don't realize it's trendy, right? You could be just say like a rule breaker, a glass ceiling breaker. And they're like, Oh, this is so weird. And then they realize in a couple months, like they need someone like you. So don't stop making the content. That's something you enjoy is probably a piece of advice I have for folks, but just realize that it might not be in their current set right now of things that they need. So, um, currently what they're looking for is apparently people who sim race, create educational content and do watch alongs is what I can recommend. Well, it's interesting, I think, especially the watch-along component because you can really see how much that is an extension of the sport in terms of you're almost creating this whole other arm of ways that people can engage with it in the moment because, you know, there's a lot of reviews and things like that and we're absolutely part of that kind of group, I suppose. But that in-the-moment experience is so different, which I think is quite intriguing in a lot of ways. Can you tell us a bit about how content comes together with a brand like Red Bull. So are you proposing ideas and they're supporting the execution of that? Or do you bring with you an idea of what type of work might be anticipated? Or how does that kind of collaboration function? Sure. So it's definitely uh, both, right? They'll come to me with ideas. For example, recently announced F1 Academy with the teams having, Mm -hmm. you know, livery drivers part of it. So uh, they Mm -hmm. came to me and they're like, hey, this is happening we want to create content around this, such as videos, interviews, things like that. Like, let's we're we're talking, discussing about that part of the the pillar. But then I can come to them and be like, "Hey, I really want to learn more about this. Do we have someone who does this who's willing to be on camera?" Yes. When I was invited yep. to Miami with them, uh, there was content set out for certain things. Like, I got to film something with Daniel Ricardo, and one of our sponsors rocked. However, then I 
went to Joe, who's part of the esports team organization lead, and I said, hey, I have this idea. Do you mind if we take like half the day to film these things? And he's like, absolutely not. He's like, I can set up these interviews with you. We had to come in early, though, and do this. Like, it's a it's a teamwork back and forth kind of thing. I was quite alarmed at how quickly you said that you would trust Daniel Ricardo with your life, which for somebody who <laughs> so spends he, a lot so of time driving, <laughs> driving fast cars and motorbikes, I was like, actually, I'm not so sure. <laughs> I think this is, I, I have, I, this could be a flaw or a good thing. I consider myself like an, like toxically loyal, right? Like if we're on the same team, like we are on the same team. Like that is it. Like we are, de- like we are together for, we are bonded. Like I will, I mean, if you're a terrible person, I'm still going to call you out. But like, like it's kind of like family, right? Like my, someone can call my brother out. Like I can call my brother out, excuse me. But if someone calls my brother out, then we have a problem, right? Like, yeah. excuse me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's definitely more of like a, the team, the team, the team. I see. I see. Well, I think many of our listeners who are generally speaking quite biased towards Daniel Ricciardo being, for the most part, Australian, they will appreciate your role as a team in part of uh, part of supporting him and the trust that you apparently have in his judgment and decision making, which is always a good thing, I suppose. I figured I could use him for any athlete. Right, if we're stuck in an island, like I figured we can be teamwork where he can he can do all the physical stuff of building the home and like the shelter, whatever it is that he needs to do that we need to survive building the boat. And I will come up with the plans and brain power and the gathering and I can get fish. I'm pretty good at fishing. Like, you know, we, we can figure it out. Like, oh, I think we have two go. yeah. good skill sets that make a good team. It does seem to be quite scenario based in that there are some examples, some situations yeah. where I would say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I trust you there. And there's other situations where I'd say, absolutely no, sir. Getaway car. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I'll be the passenger princess. You just, you just could do what you got to do. Exactly. Precisely. Do you have any absolutely wild ideas, anything that you would love to do with them? I mean, it's Red Bull, oh, right? Yeah. Like they make the unimaginable come to life. I'm thinking maybe like skydiving while you're sim racing and maybe you get to <laughs> pull your shoot once you finish the lap or something like that or you get to pull your pull your shoot when somebody else finishes their lap, teamwork. Again, that could be a time where you want him on your team. But do you have any wild ideas that you would love to see to fruition? Darn, I didn't go that wild. One of my ideas was it would be actually <laughs> super great if I could follow around the team for a year, like travel with them, the Formula One team, mm. and just do – like, what is it like? Like, sure, we, we, like, we get it. Like, you and I understand, everyone listening, they travel a lot. What does that mean? That some people are getting there on Tuesday. Mm. Some people are getting there on Wednesday. Some people don't get there till Friday. Some people are, are done with their job by Saturday, but they need to stay there Saturday and Sunday for anything else the team needs. Like, what emergencies come up that we don't see? What is the behind the scenes of the setup process of a track? Like, all that stuff, I would love to go from start to finish for almost like every single track, because every single track is different um, in the way mm. they handle themselves, track management, their facilities, how upgraded they are. I just want to know. And then I, everyone, every team member has a favorite track that they like to be at, depending on facilities and space and like a lot of other uh, variables. So I'd love to just be around for that and just document it. Um, I guess crazy ideas. Yeah. Red Bull also is part part of, I think, majorly sponsors the WRC, uh, which is the World Rally Championship. So that would be also something really cool mm-hmm. to work w- with them as I think WRC is trying to get have a race in the United States. So whether it, I know they can't, I wonder if they can like put me in a rally car, but like not when racing, you know, <laughs> it'd be great if I can like do a stage, like pre-do a stage and just film a fun lap, whether, not the passenger, because yep. they obviously need a navigator, but if there's like a, they can put a seat in the back 
or like a sidecar just so I can sit in it and do it. Uh, that'd be oh, awesome. Oh, that could be fun. We'll see one of those like buggies attached to the side. I'm not that's sure that's quite how the uh, tracks are built. I know, absolutely not. For, that is actually the, that was so dangerous. Like, did you have to- <laughs> terrible idea, but really fun to watch. <laughs> Okay, let's talk about IndyCar. And everyone's like, wait, we're talking about IndyCar now? What's happening? This is meant to be a special special episode. So we're going to talk about IndyCar. As I've mentioned to you, um, we'll be heading off to Nashville and creating lots of really fun content there. But before we do, this will be my first race, my first IndyCar race that I'll be going to. And amongst our listeners, we do absolutely have plenty who are really into all sorts of motorsport series, but some who do pretty exclusively watch Formula One. So before we kind of just start jumping into interviews and things like that um, for IndyCar, we just wanted to get everybody on the same page with what on earth it's all about. Why are there so many drivers? Why do some not have the same number of drivers? We'll cover that <laughs> shortly. But so what we're going to do is a bit of a IndyCar 101. We've broken it down to a few different categories. We're going to talk about the tracks, the teams and the drivers the cars, the schedule of a race weekend and then the race itself. Um, And hopefully we'll come up with both some kind of fundamental knowledge, but then also things that might surprise people who have been watching um, for a while, even from just from a different perspective for somebody who is based in the US. So let's start off with the tracks. So the NTT IndyCar series races across North America on a variety of tracks. And this is something that might be surprising if you know absolutely nothing about Indy. So Ash, could you perhaps tell us a bit about the four different types of racetracks that feature on the calendar? Yes. And uh, so I, I do want to be honest, you pre-sent me the questions just like as a courtesy, right? When you interview someone, you're like, hey, this is what <laughs> yeah. you're going to talk about. So I saw four yeah. different tracks and I was like, what is she talking about? There's four tracks. And I realized, so, <laughs> here are the four tracks. And I'll explain why I said that. So you have street courses, you have road courses, you have ovals, but you have short ovals and you have super speedways, which are also ovals, okay. but they're considered super speedways. Yep. So, cause I, I just put everything under oval. So I considered it three types of tracks, but super speedways yeah. is its own okay. clarification. Cause there's only certain tracks are super, certain ovals are super speedways. All super speedways are ovals, yep. but not all ovals are super speedways. <laughs> For super speedways, it, I believe it's over a two miles in length. Um, usually they're okay. a little bit wider on the corners and they have more, ex- less, I don't want to say extreme, but more banking, um, which really lets the cars get up to about 200 miles per hour or so. What about the street courses and those short ovals? What is it about those races that could, for example, you know, favor certain drivers or how does that change the racing? Sure. So short ovals, are not just about, I'm going to press on the gas and go. You do have to lift and coast at certain points of the short oval. You can't put your foot down all the way on the gas because you will mm. hit a wall or spin out Like because it's a short oval and the the turn of the circle is in such an angle where if you went straight, you would just hit the wall. So you do have to be very cautious mm. of how much you lift. And then there's drafting. So if you're behind someone, you don't lift as much. So there's some strategy behind it and what you're doing. Uh, street courses, I mean, it's just similar to Formula One, um, a little bit more scrappy, just a little bit more down to earth. Um, I think we all have our favorite street courses, whether it's Toronto or uh, the tracks based in California. But I think we're definitely yeah. familiar with the street and road courses kind of thing. Kind of preempted my next question, which was if you have a favorite type of track as a fan. Um, so if someone was thinking about going to Indy for the first time, which location would you suggest for the kind of, I suppose, ultimate oh, fan experience? Darn. That's tough. Ultimate. <laughs> I mean, if you could make it. Okay. I mean, I say this is unreachable because it's just the Indy 500. 
and everyone wants to go to the Indy 500. I just say Indy 500 for the atmosphere, the hype. Um, I just, I loved it. It was incredible this year. Uh, but honestly, if you're a first time fan, I think go to street course. The, for example, I went mm -hmm. to St. Petersburg and I loved it because it was right in the downtown. I mean, if you really go Toronto, I mean, I think they're just right in the middle of the city. Um, everyone's just kind of buzzing around. Everyone's super excited. Everyone in the town knows what's happening in the town and the city knows what's happening. Um, I mean, the action is right there. The rank is tracks. You're used to having that safety space, the things between like the space between the fences, the high fence, like everyone has a designated rule. They have to follow when building tracks with the street courses that are really, you can get right in the car. <laughs> like you have a fence and the car is whizzing by you. You're like, Oh, okay. This is how fast they're going that I don't see on television. <laughs> Uh, the atmosphere is a completely yeah. different, I believe, in a street course for a first-time fan. And a lot of folks are just happy to help and happy to be there. Um, really, amongst all the races, like Indy 500, we had different fans around us. And someone who was a little bit newer, and a few folks were asking questions about what was happening, like why was this going on, and everyone was answering. But you'll find that kind of happening yeah. throughout the races in IndyCar. But um, I think street courses are the best for a first-time fan. And does the calendar and locations change from year to year, or is it? pretty consistent? Do they have the same number of races per season or or like Formula One, can that shift and change? Pretty set. Usually 17. They had 17 last year. 2021 was uh, 16 because they had one canceled due to COVID because of the Ontario restrictions, but just the yeah. the same patterns that you're, that you see. All right. So we know where we are racing in terms of the different types of tracks that you might see. Let's talk about the teams and drivers. So how many teams have we got in Indy? Ash. You have 10 full-time teams for 2023. Yeah. And the 10 teams are split evenly between two engine manufacturers, Honda and Chevy. And is there a hierarchy to the team? So we think, again, we think about that kind of Formula One comparison a little bit here, just given our audience, but you know, we have our big teams like our Red Bulls, our Mercedes, our Ferraris, and then we have some of the historically smaller teams with Haas and, and Williams and the like. Is there a similar hierarchy in IndyCar? Yes. And I, I want to be careful with how I answer the question, depending who listens to this, uh, <laughs> who the big dogs are. Um, everyone's very yeah. opinions. I would have to, I mean, you have to argue that Chip Ganassi Racing, um, four currently full-time cars on the grid, they have Honda engines. You'd say they're, mm -hmm. they're huge, they're big. Um, as in like they are, how would I describe them? I, I don't want to say they're equal to like the Mercedes, but like, Chip Ganassi has legendary one, the Indy 500. Um, Chip Ganassi's, I mean, he's usually always at the track, <laughs> which is great. Um, yeah. The next team I, yeah. um, I say as well. So Chip Ganassi is a huge just name in IndyCar and kind of just everyone knows who he is. Everyone knows who the team is. Um, and there's also Team Penske. Uh, Penske mm -hmm. uh, also owns Indianapolis Motor Speedway and the IndyCar Series, which is, and they have a team inside IndyCar. So obviously you would have to name Team Penske, which is huge. And they have three full-time cars under the Chevy engine. Okay. Yes. One of which, of course, is our very own Australian Will Power, um, who we have been watching for some time now, Race. We obviously love having an Australian on the grid over there. So we've got 10 teams and you've mentioned already that one that you've already kind of said has three drivers, another one has four. I'm already confused. Why are there different numbers of drivers to each team? How many are there generally? Please explain, Ash. <laughs> oh, it. Uh, how much money you got? Just that's it. Done. Yeah. How much? How much can you do? Usually, you want to have two cars. I think every single team, full time team, does have two cars because I mean, yep. you, testing. You can try different things in different cars. See what works for you. Use it for the next year. Stuff like that. Um, so you usually just go with two cars, just so you always have your team's always has a good chance or a higher chance of winning. Um, Chip Ganassi has four. Um, 
And I think uh, Andretti Autosport has four as well. And those are the two teams with four cars. So what would be some of the pros and cons of having, you know, I suppose an ever-expanding team? Because I imagine if you're subbing drivers, do they, do they all compete each weekend or are they subbing drivers in They all compete. Out? Okay, so they all compete each weekend. Um, what would be the, what are the benefits then, I suppose, in terms of having one of those bigger teams? Because I imagine there might be some instability in there as well or you have different team dynamics. What do you see as some of the pros and cons there? You hope you have good drivers and they're all going to win. So Andretti <laughs> just sweeps a podium, yeah. a P1 to P4, and it's just Andretti, 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 Autosport. Um, <laughs> supposedly no team orders. So, okay. Uh, but then like people are like, there are team orders, and people are like, but they're frowned upon, but you shouldn't be doing it. I, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm just kind of like 50, 50 on it. I definitely think there's like, Hey, there definitely is though. Not as much as like formula is very obvious, right? They'd be like, Charlotte, you got to let science pass you. <laughs> and he's like, no. Yeah. Okay. Um, but here it's just like, <laughs> Hey, just letting you know, that's your teammate. Do with that information what yep. you will. We're just reminding you that that is your teammate. And you're like, okay, that was like a cheeky way of being like, don't, don't, don't have this up. <laughs> like, don't crash into your teammates. Yeah. <laughs> Andretti wants a full podium. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You just want, you just want your team to sweep every single time. Um, mm-hmm. And you'll see the way the, the points work. Also, we have manufacturers, uh, manufacturers stuff and championships and things like that. So you want to, you just want your name up there. Okay. We'll get that to that in a minute when we start talking about how the race weekend works. Just thinking again about those drivers are there drivers who kind of specialise on different tracks? Because obviously we do have ovals here, which is very different to yeah. F1. And even within F1, we might have drivers who very much prefer and um, race better on the street tracks, for example, in comparison to um, a more traditional course, not looking at you, Checo Perez. <laughs> um, but here are we, yeah, do we have drivers who prefer different types of courses? How would that affect people's teams? Yeah, you could say so. I would say that, for example, Joseph Newgarden, great in the ovals, um, for mm-hmm. the insane reason that he won Iowa this weekend, like swept it both races this past weekend, excuse me. Oh, yeah. I guess people don't know when we're listening when this would be released. Anyway, when the Iowa races happened, he won both of them. <laughs> <laughs> so Joseph Newgarden, great yeah. in the ovals. Yeah, you want a well-balanced team, but like Alex Polo, I would say, is great on everything. I mean, he's currently leading the championship points, not by too much, so it's not a sweep, but he's pretty far ahead in I would say very equally balanced on all tracks and dominant on all kinds of courses. So mm. you just want to either someone who's Alex below, which you're very lucky to have, or you trying to think what would be probably beneficial, probably like towards the street and road courses. When you have more yeah. drivers, that, that's not your problem anymore. Because you just pick someone who is yes. another benefit to having more drivers on your team. And when it comes to drivers, because we do have some overlap with F1, you know, we've got Marcus Ericsson mm-hmm. and Romain Grosjean, um, and it's there is some, I suppose, maybe looking to <laughs> looking in the distance as to what's going on in Indy, just because you know people do see that as a place that someone might also go and have a career outside of F1. But what is I find really interesting there is that it seems to be a racing series where drivers can have much greater career longevity. Um, so we do have drivers who have been there for much longer um, than they would probably expect to race in Formula One. In your opinion, what do you think it is about the sport that allows for greater career longevity? <laughs> Great. I think, in my opinion, answering this question, <laughs> I don't want to say there's yeah. not pressure here. There's obviously a lot of pressure here in IndyCar. I just think mm. 
the way this pressure is distributed amongst the teams, I, IndyCar very much, I believe, has a mentality like a rising tide raises all ships, right? Um, yes, these guys battle it out every single weekend, but they also know each other very well. They they also, mm. I mean, maybe not all of them are best friends, but all of them definitely in some way or another either help each other out, communicate. I'm not saying they like train and give secrets away with each other, but they're all drivers racing the same series, so they definitely hang out. Some do train together. It's it's great to see that camaraderie, that closeness. A lot of like they have podcasts together. We know the bus bros. Like everyone, yeah. <laughs> everyone's. Um, yeah. um, so I think it's just less of like a. I don't want to say it's not. A, you want to win. I understand, but I just think it's mm. less of a toxic cutthroat environment where um, there's more room to learn and grow, and then you're not knocked out halfway through the season every single time. Um, however, some people may roll their eyes due to certain news because of Connor Daly, but um, it was not his first year. So I will, I will, mm. we will separate that conversation <laughs> for another time. However, I just, just don't yep. think it's as toxically cutthroat as um, Formula yep. One. Interesting. I wonder if um, just generally speaking as a race series, mm-hmm. the margins seem to be a bit bigger, I suppose, just even if you think about a a pit stop and we'll talk about that in a minute but you're not dealing with this kind of you know sub two second or two second pit stop and that seems to kind of apply to the sport as a whole and that your margins are just not quite as tight and you know how does that affect even you know the physical development of a driver and things like that and I wonder if that affects it but um, I need to watch for longer in order to have my own opinion on this I think but that's something that just came to mind in that it's yeah, perhaps just less less tight when it comes to, yeah, and the, the pressure I suppose would be in a similar category in a way. So we know where we're racing. We know who's racing and why. Let's discuss what we are racing in. So we're talking about the cars here. It's opened wheeled, obviously, but what else do we need to know about the cars that each of these drivers are in in Indy Ash. Sure. So everyone calls IndyCar a spec series, which major components of the car are the same, but there's still a lot of places for like team development and innovation. I'm just going to list the major mm-hmm. spec components. Uh, so those are the things, these are sure. things that are the same for each car. So the Delara mm-hmm. DW12 chassis is the same. The Delara IR18 mm-hmm. Aero Kit, Firestone Firehawk tires, uh, the PPG Aero Screen, and a Chevy or a Honda engine. Those are your two options. Those are the spec components. But then you have the few areas that are open to development. So you have the dampeners or the shock absorbers and top speed top teams will spend uh, giant budgets just on like damper development alone. Um, wing angles and mm. other aero setups, tire pressure is huge, um, ride height, gear stacks, coatings and lubricants, bearings, brake ducts, and wind tunnel testing, which is actually unlimited. And there's like 150 plus settings and elements of a car that you can change on these. So you say spec, but there's all these little things that we don't really see or hear yeah. about. It's like, no one wants to talk about coatings and lubricants on the Fox or NBC broadcast, <laughs> but these are different little things that are in variables that can change a lot. You mentioned unlimited wind tunnel time. From a budget perspective, that must create a pretty big gap between some of the big teams and the small teams, if they can just be doing constant development and running that for as long as they can afford to. I mean, all the car, how do I say this? Sure. Like, yes, you're not wrong, but they do keep it pretty fair about like everyone's time spent in the thing, but it's not limited to everyone has 60 hours. Everyone has X number of hours. Sure. Someone's going to get a little bit more, 
And that is a good point where yeah. you do make right bigger budgets or a team that can have four drivers and afford that kind of different, maybe we'll do an air, different arrow setup and chuck it into a wind tunnel. But overall, everyone's pretty, uh, pretty good. Or like, I guess a, an agreement of, Hey, um, we're going to each do some kind of at least minimum number of hours together at the same amount. And then higher up teams will do that. Okay. Interesting. And you mentioned also the aero screen. So yes. this is probably one of the most, one of the biggest visible differences between, for example, an F1 car and an Indy car is the aero screen. In F1, we have the halo, which is its safety mechanism. Why does IndyCar use the aero screen? IndyCar really prides itself on safety, and that's something they really highlight every weekend when you're watching, whether it's their medical team, which is huge, or they have tethers, the aero screen, and the driver safety cell. So for the aero screen, Mm. um, it protects the, for folks who don't know, it's essentially, people just call it a windshield. Um, It's a titanium frame with a ballistic material windshield. So it protects the driver's head and neck from debris introduced in 2020. And we've seen numerous examples throughout the last three years of the screen deflecting debris that could have otherwise injured a driver. I mean, cars on top of each other, like a wheel on the aero screen um, in St. Petersburg that we've seen. Um, Helio Castroneves' car, mm-hmm. uh, I believe, I think he was the one who was on the bottom of this. But anyway, the wheel would have been on him or like in his cockpit yeah, if it wasn't okay. for the aero screen. So it's really more of a, yeah. a safety thing and just an additional, essentially a halo kind of concept with an yeah. aero screen in front of it. When it comes to the engine, so there's two basically choices. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this is very different when it comes to F1. We have um, OEM teams and then we will have others who are customer teams um but it works quite differently here as you mentioned spec series sort of (laughs) allegedly a spec series based on all of the changes that they can make but they do only have two um engines to choose between do we have any insight as to how a team would pick one of those two engines i'm i i paused because i was like hey how do i best explain this so it's not confusing because I, when I explain things, I, I'm not trying to do by any means, quote unquote, dumb it down. No way. But I do want to make it, when you first hear it, you don't get overwhelmed by like, it's a DOHC 2.2 liter turbo V6 for the first stroke piston auto cycle. And you're like, this, that means nothing to me. What the hell is an auto cycle development? And you're like, oh my gosh, yep. um, I don't want to watch this anymore. This is dumb. And so- <laughs> similar to Formula One, like, right, how do customer teams pick their engines? It's like, who's going to, one, who's going to provide the best? <laughs> it's gonna, who comes to them and, like, provides mm. the best sales pitch? <laughs> Whose engine's the best, right? Um, a little bit of that. And then you have, two, what engine works best with your aero package and all those variables that I mentioned before. Um, though they are spec, right? There's always the little things, like I mentioned, the variables that you can change up between the engines, I mean, the the cars and the 150, 150 plus variables you can change throughout. So which engine is going yep. to best fit your needs and your type of yep. package that you're trying to build around your, your spec. All right. So we know where we're, where we're racing. We know who is racing. We know that we may have more cars with some teams, fewer for others. We know all about what they are racing in. Let's talk about the schedule over the course of a race weekend. So the IndyCar race weekend is not dissimilar from Formula One in many ways, but also varies quite drastically in others. Ash, can you talk us through the weekend schedule in particular, of course, in terms of qualifying and then the race? How does that work? 
Sure. Oh, well, let me just save you this. The race is a race. You just, whoever finishes first. Yeah. <laughs> That's the easy part. That's just like, all right. Well, Does what it says on the tin. Okay. That's what it says on the tin. Yeah. Yeah. Just go for it. And you're like, uh, you have, obviously we'll talk about the pit stops a little bit, what each team member kind of does. Cause a little bit different than formula one with the arrow screen and the refueling, of course. But yes, there is pit stop strategy, but you race. And um, I know we'll get to that in a second, but for qualifying, there's different kinds of qualifying formats. So for road and street, you have two, for round one, you have two groups. Um, groups are based on times from final practice before qualifying. So it's, this, the field is essentially split into half into two groups, depending on your times from mm-hmm. final practice. Um, this, right. So you have group one and group two. The six fastest from group one advance to the round, to the next round, and the six fastest from group two advance. So you have fast 12. So it's like a, we're, we're, we're funneling down. So you two groups, yep. six fast from each group. So you have 12. And then from the fast 12, you get into the fast six. So the fastest six of that 12 get into the final round, uh, final th- round, third round. And that is your uh, slots from P1 through P6. And then the fast 12, whoever was P7, P12, and then so on and so forth. Okay. The interesting part to me about that is how much free practice actually matters, which is not the case in F1. <laughs> as much as we can all kid ourselves when we see Daniel Ricciardo in particular in like second, third on FP3 from last weekend where we just said, okay, stop the clock. Unfortunately, that is not, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Free practice doesn't matter in Formula One, but it does here. So that's, that's really interesting. I suppose if you're then watching a race, especially if you're there, that's something you might be paying a lot more attention to um, in comparison to F1 where it just has little to no bearing really on the rest of the race weekend as far as qualifying and race might go based on the setups that they might then be choosing to go with. But interestingly as well, I think you mentioned there, so different from oval circuits to the straight track. So just remind me how that changes. Sure. So the oval qualifying procedure, uh, very slightly by track, like Iowa was different because they're doing two races back to back, which I'll explain the asterisks when we get to it. Uh, but oval qualifying is generally <laughs> done um, one car at a time. So a single car on the track you do in, you do a, you just do an outlap. You have two, you run two laps, like you do two fast laps as you can. Um, the two lap average is your qualifying speed. And then you slot in based on your qualifying speed from the, your two lap average. So take your average speed of the two laps and that is your qualifying. And that's your qualifying. And then that will set the yes. grid for the Sunday. For Iowa though, what they did is the first lap determined your slot for the first race and your second lap determined your slot for the second race. Okay. All right. So then there was only one qualifying for both races. Is that right? That is correct. And the cars qualify in reverse order of championship points at the beginning of the race weekend. So whatever the championship points are, um, and who, and of course, like I said, there's only X number of full-time teams. So depending if you're like part-time, you, yep. you're probably going first because you are not full-time and therefore don't have the most number of points. Um, so it's determined based on championship points beginning of the race weekend. That is starting to make quite a bit of sense. Let's talk about the race itself. So we'll get to the pit stops in a minute, which we keep <laughs> kind of dropping in. We'll get to that in a second, but let's kind of just talk through the process of a race. So Straight from the get-go, we're looking at a pretty different system in comparison to what we're used to with F1, which is rolling starts. And then we will work through perhaps the rest of the race. Let's talk about pit stops. Um, And there's no DRS in IndyCar, but we do have push to pass. So perhaps we could explain that. 
Um, and then maybe towards the end we'll get through some of those key things that we need to know when it comes to points and things like that. But rolling starts, can you talk us through from there what the race looks like? Sure. So it's kind of back to safety the whole thing. IndyCar uses rolling starts to prevent the risk yep. of crashes that are often seen in the first lap or incidents that are often seen in the first lap. Mm. Also, uh, rolling starts prevents the car from uh, any risk of stalling. Not any risk. It's more of a less risk of stalling. So therefore, if someone okay. is like behind you and you go and you stalled, they're also a less of an incident. Um, the argument against rolling starts is that leaders are able to keep their like upfront position a little bit more because you are Mm. Right. There's no, because right, we see that in Formula One often where if someone gets a really good jump start, right, like Max messes it up, then Lando can get in front of him, um, as we saw a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. So here people are saying rolling starts, lets the leaders kind of keep that position and there's less fighting, but that kind of just means you have to, I mean, you can also just get a good jump start on a rolling start, which a lot of people don't feel like that's true. But yeah, you have a rolling start. Okay. You do laps, and then when the pace mm-hmm. car comes in, um, you kind of, you're, you're waiting for leaders to a certain, in NASCAR, we call it the Geico restart zone, which is why I keep laughing right now because I'm just like, oh, in the Geico restart zone. <laughs> um, but IndyCar is not that. It's not sponsored by Geico. And yeah, and then once you reach okay. um, your line, you just, you, you, you go. You can, the green flag waves. Yep. You go, 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 go. You're kind of just like anticipating okay. All right. um, the start from the leaders and you're like, ugh. Everyone's just like so anxious because it's the rolling start, right? Like you're like, okay, we're like so close to racing. We want to step on the gas. And you're like, oh, and this happens, funny enough, in NASCAR a lot of time where the back of the grid wrongly anticipates the restarts specifically and they do bump into each other because <laughs> they're so close. Wow. Um, so it'll be a huge kerfuffle okay. in the back. But this doesn't happen in the year. Okay. Interesting. Well, just in terms of that starts, especially like we've got yeah. some particularly good context at the moment with some of our recent races, obviously, in F1 thinking about – um, Joe with his start, for example, and we've seen other races, of course, where we've had anti-stall issues. And so I can imagine that a rolling start would would effectively evol- avoid that. But then, yeah, also, like you said, you know, does it give it give it somewhat of an advantage to to those up the front? So, okay. I guess you can also say, yeah. but IndyCar yeah. just really, they're like, oh, let's just, I think, blanket statement, make it safe, safer or as safe as possible. Yeah. And, um, yeah, yep. rolling starts. All right. So rolling starts. It's go, go, go. Green flag. green flag. When we are ready to do a pit stop, how does that differ from F1? What are we going to see? Sure. So you have seven mechanics head over to the wall into the pit lane to work on the car. Um, four of those are on tires. Mm-hmm. While the aero screen, jack, and refueling duties are divided amongst the the remaining three mechanics over the wall. Okay. Um. Each yep. duty entire being a one-person job, plus refueling and a pit stop of around seven seconds in IndyCar. Seven, nine seconds is considered pretty good. Okay. Um, so aero screen, meaning like either tearing it off or cleaning it, I mean, whatever you need to do, making sure that's all set, um, changing the tires, which we're used to. Um, tires, though, also a little bit differently here in Formula One. But, uh, Formula One, IndyCar, by the way. Um, tires <laughs> yeah. for road and street, you have two. You have primary tires, which are blacks or firestone blacks. And then you have alternate tires, which are reds or firestone reds. Um, black tires are harder compounds. Consistent speed falls off a little bit, falls off slowly. So think of it as like, I was trying to think like your, your, your medium to hard compound. And then your alternate tires are softer compound, um, usually fast early in the stint, falls off more quickly. So think of those as you're like your softs, essentially. Um, we do have one type of rain tire for road and street courses. And then for ovals, um, you, you don't, there's no rain tires for ovals. You, um, you don't 
you don't really race in the rain in ovals because that's really dangerous considering the banking and how, how I think people forget how strong water is, even at, at a small <laughs> like amount, especially with a race car. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit crazy. Yep. And then, yeah, for ovals, you have oval slicks. You have one type of tire, smooth, no tread, incredibly, uh, it's known to be incredibly safe. And then you have the tire life depends on the track surface. So depending yep. where your strategy is, um, if you're on a road or street course, depending what tires you want to just put on, um, you'll put those on. And then, yeah about seven seconds, nine seconds, and then you're out the door. And of course, we have a sub, one another, another big difference to F1, which is the fuel situation yeah. as well. Obviously, we're not refueling in Formula One, which we will see in IndyCar. Okay, so we are now out of the pits and I'm an amazing driver. I'm working, I'm about to go for an overtake. I don't have DRS because there's no such thing. But no I do have thing. push to pass. <laughs> <laughs> Can you explain that to our listeners? Does yes. it is it as simple as it sounds? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, I, yeah, literally, I, right on the tin. Push the pass. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, something I do. You did mention refueling. Uh, you might see them spray water mm. on the car right afterwards, and that's just like a safety thing, right? So you see the refuel, and sometimes we'll just like spray water, just like after they're done, just just to keep yeah any risk there. So you go push the pass. Yeah. Um, DRS, as we know, creates the aerodynamic advantage for a, t- a yeah. car to get more speed. Push the pass is uh, literally a button on the steering wheel. Uh, you press, the driver presses it, and it gives the car more horsepower. Uh, there's a limited time to be able to use the feature. There's, uh, it'll okay. vary by track. So it averages anywhere to 150 to 200 seconds. And you'll see that on the broadcast. They'll let you know how much push to pass time they have left. So you could hold it if you're a driver and get 200 seconds of push to pass if you want for that moment. If, if you really want to use all your two seconds. If you really need it. <laughs> if you really need it and that's all you ever want to use for, you just need to put pass that one person. <laughs> you just don't need it anymore. Um, but yeah, people, uh, drivers, excuse me, drivers will try to use push the pass throughout varying times of their race, depending if they want to pass, what they're doing, et cetera. Mm. Um, also part of the strategy and street court and provides about 50 to 75 more horsepower. And you can use it wherever you want on the track, whenever you want to use it on the track. Okay. I can see how that would definitely play into strategy quite significantly, especially if you don't quite know how a race is likely to play out. And in, and that's almost a strategy addition that F1 doesn't have, obviously, because with the exception of the start of a race um, and restarts, you know, the DRS is always there. Unlimited DRS time um, in terms <laughs> of the zones that you can use it in. But here, obviously, you have to think about how you will manage that throughout a race. Yeah. So Roman Grosjean, one race, had was P6, and he used his push the pass, and he got to P2, but he ran out of push the pass, so he couldn't be P1. <laughs> And you're like, ah, oh, oh, shucks. <laughs> like, um, so it's all I've got. Saved all the push the patch that he possibly could, or like a, a good chunk amount of it where no one else could get him towards the end, but it couldn't make it over to a, to a P1, unfortunately. Grosjean, he just seems to be in the wrong place at the wrong time a lot of the time. Although he blames someone seems else to for be it. very happy. <laughs> That's that's mostly my beef, like with Lance Stroll. Maybe that's the key to Roman his happiness, Groshan. just blaming other people. They're like, oh, what was that? It was you. It was you. I, the call's coming from inside the house. <laughs> like, I don't understand why you're surprised every weekend what is going on. <laughs> I don't get it. So I've done my amazing overpass. I've used my push to pass uh, pretty strategically, but then maybe I'm seeing a flag. What are the different types of flags and some key rules that we should know about for the remainder of the race? 
Sure. Um, I think the flags are pretty similar, except for the blue flag. I mean, checkered flag signifies the end of the practice session, qualifying attempt or race. I don't know why I said qualifying so weird. Um, green flag signals the start of each session, right? Or the restarts after the caution or red flag. Yellow is the caution flag, mm-hmm. signals hazard conditions, slow down, um, yield to safety vehicles on track until the green flag is displayed. Is that white flag? Um, final lap of the race from the, the leaders, leaders starting the final lap of the race, excuse me. There is a there is a blue flag. Let's just go to blue flag. A blue flag is letting you know that there is a um a notif- it's a notification to the slower car that there is a faster car behind you that it's attempting to overtake. But mm-hmm. the slower car is not required to move aside. Just FYI, in a race, oh. you're not required to move aside. Um it's only a notification. Unless the car is a lap behind every other driver. So if you're a lapped car, every other, like literally every other car, you're just like that down bad where every driver has passed you. Yeah. Um, not just the leader. So of course, what they show on TV when you're lapped, it shows that that's the leader. That's the lead car that you are lapped. But mm. you could still be like a, a, half the grid could still be technically quote unquote behind you, right? So- um, yeah. And Formula One is different. And I think a lot of people don't realize this, um, especially in sim racing where it's really funny because they're like, oh, uh, you're getting the blue flag. Move out of the way. Your job as the car in this kind of racing and also in sports car racing is to be predictable. The car behind you's job is to pass you. You don't do anything. You stay in your racing line. Yeah. You keep doing what you got to do. The car behind you, it's their job to pass you safely and in a correct way. And if they don't know how they need you to move aside to pass you, then it's a skill issue and that's their problem. Um Mm. that we can bring up some other time. Now, a roy- like the blue flag with a diagonal yellow stripe uh, means that the slower car needs to get the fuck out of the way. <laughs> so yellow stripe <laughs> means get out your slower car or something like, what do you, like, don't do that. But usually you won't see that. You'll get the blue flag. That means like, hey, there's a faster car coming up behind you, like FYI, probably a race leader. Best not to defend and be, you know, don't do that. Don't impede too much. But like, say to your racing line, be predictable. Mm. They're going to pass you. Most likely, don't do anything bananas. Uh, red flag, right? Race stop immediately. Um, I think those are like the big ones. I'm sure there's other ones. I mean, there's like the meatball flag, but you don't see that very often, which is the black flag in the orange circle. Um, you need to come to the pits immediately. Do you see in IndyCar if there has been, like if there's a safety car, for example, do people pit under a safety car in the same way that they do in F1? Oh, or- yeah. 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 Pitting under the yellow. So let me get this correct. They There is, they do close the pits. However, that gives everyone a chance to pit at the same time if needed uh, after for like safety reasons, stuff like that. So um, I think people talk about how that might have, for example, that could have stopped the whole like F1 thing from 2021. If they gave everyone a moment to, um, if the safety car came out after the leaders have passed the pit entry, the cars then like duck behind and gain a massive unearned advantage, things like that. So they give everyone a chance to then close and then pit at the same time afterwards, which a lot of people do Mm. that because then you have that everyone's kind of like all bunched together and it's a little bit slowly. <clears throat> so just, they made it more fair, but people do use the advantage of the, after the the safety car or the yellow to do pit and gain the same thing as Formula One. Which do you think is a better way of doing things? I like the IndyCar way. Um, it just makes it fair, right? Um, I think we see that in Formula One often where someone was able to duck into the pits before yellow or like right as the mm. yellow was called and you're like, <laughs> sucker. Um <laughs> And then I, I think it's interesting. I think it's ballsy when an F1 is, they're like, oh, we're we're hoping for a yellow flag because it's like a 38% chance a yellow happens in this time of the track and this time of the race. And they're hoping for a yellow mm. flag to 
fit people in, which I don't think you should base your strategy off incidents or yellow flags and things like that. So the fact that IndyCar gives everyone a chance to pit under after being all bunched together at the same exact time without uh, trying to get people to do it or not do it, it gives everyone the same advantage to pit under after the yellow. Well, it's interesting because it, I mean, it just means you're, I know a lot of this, you know, when it comes to statistics, we're talking about likelihoods of incidents occurring and at certain tracks you'll have higher likelihoods and things like that. But then you also get Baku this year, I think, from memory, where everyone's there going, okay, rubbing your fingers together, I'm getting excited, this is going to be an eventful race, and then nothing happened. <laughs> and you had all these teams waiting, you know, that was that was literally part of their strategy, of that there will be a safety car at some point in this race, right. and then it didn't happen. Um, so interesting to see if, yeah, a rule like that would change how people approach uh, protest strategies for, for the race essentially. Um, yeah. Okay. Thank you for that clarification. That's interesting discussion as well. And I think that's where like the compare. We don't always want to be comparing to racing series because I think they're great in their own ways. But yeah, it helps to understand. I also think that you know one can learn from the other and say, okay, you've got this rule. It seems to be working pretty well. Is that something that we might experiment with? I suppose. Um, all right, let's talk about point scoring um, so that we all know where we stand at the end of the race. I've won. I'm the fastest. How does that play out when it comes to points allocation? So you have three opportunities to earn uh, points for each race weekend. Uh, pole position is one point when you qualify. You get an additional point for mm-hmm. kicking butt, taking names, and qualifying. Uh, the second way is leading laps. If you lead at least one lap, that's a point. But if you have most laps led as well, that's two points. Okay. And then you have finishing positions. So P1 gets 50 points. Um, you get points um, all the way down. Um, if you're P25 in the rest of the field, you get five points. But everyone gets points regarding, but it all differs where they finish, right? Like, so P1 is 50, P2 is 40, and then so on and so forth. I like the idea of having bonus points for leading at least one race lap. That To me, that can be quite actually quite an accomplishment for some. <laughs> and obviously, if they're able to hold on to it, um, yeah, I don't know. I quite like that idea. Max Verstappen has a billion points because yeah, of how many laps he um, Yeah, I enjoy it too. And I think it definitely, the comp- the need to be most laps led and lead at least one lap to get points and right, and like gain that favor. So maybe you don't, maybe you finish somewhere in the mid-pack, but like you, in the beginning of the race, maybe have a good start or you qualify well and you, you still have a chance to be up there for the championship fight, which I appreciate. Mm. Yeah, oh, 100%. I think that's certainly from looking at it, I think that's one of the biggest difference with Indy is that, you know, especially race to race, there seems to be so much more of an opportunity to see a different race winner, um, which is obviously something that we're kind of struggling with (laughs) in F1 at the moment. Um, All right, so we've got a pretty good idea as to how the race works now. For people who do watch IndyCar, for those people who are listening who are a bit more familiar with the sport, what is something that you have learned along the way that might surprise somebody else? And this could be something about the role that IndyCar has, I suppose, in the US kind of motorsport culture. It could be something about having been trackside, something that you saw that surprised you, Um, anything really, just something that might put a different uh, spin on it for somebody who's been watching for a little while. The, the one that I really appreciate the most, I think, and is the IndyCar is one of the few dedicated traveling safety teams in all of motorsports. 
Um, I mean, their incident response time is like it's 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 crazy. It's like one of the best response times in Virginia Bell Motorsports. Mm-hmm. If you ever see or watch any car, you realize before a car has even stopped after an incident, like the medical team is there. Um, teams work directly with the series to develop new protocols and protect the drivers and crew. Um, they have a fellowship program at Indiana mm-hmm. University School of Medicine to train for motorsports med- medicine professionals, specifically right. for like motorsports series. Um, each team, yep. typically um, each race, you have one to two physicians, two paramedics, 14 firefighters, EMTs, and I think two registered nurses. Um, Dr. Julia Weiser, she's the medical director traveling the team. And each member has about 20 years um, of experience in their respective fields. So mm. it's, I think just the safety team is, is it's ins- and like what they do for the teams. Of course, the aero screen, the tether, tethers, um, driver safety cell, things like that, the development. Um, you have, I mean, as we have in Formula One, the Hans devices, the crash helmets, the G-force monitors, um, the fire suits, the fire basin layers, like all working with the medical team and making sure everything's good with the drivers is probably prioritizing safety is number one, which mm. I, I appreciate. And I know certain, something happened in the Indy 500 where a wheel, came off of a car and mm. immediately they're like, Hey, we're going to launch an investigation. I was like, yeah, of course you are. Like, that's what you have to say. But then a, a couple of weeks ago, they're like, Oh, this is what happened. We're working with the Lara to change this. So this never happens again. Mm. And this is what we're doing. And this is how like, we're making sure this never happens again. Like we're adding this yeah. piece or changing this function. I was like, Oh, Oh, I appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> like I didn't like, I yeah. didn't expect they were going to follow up because everyone says, Oh, we're going to change stuff. And like, you never know what they're going to change. Yeah, yeah. We'll make it safer. It's like, oh, no, this is exactly yeah. what we're doing. It's like, I can I can put my hat off to that. Totally. And I think that just in terms of consistency of outcome as well, that's pretty impressive. That's something that obviously we get, we find challenging, not just from a safety perspective, but when it comes to um, stewards and race directors and things like that um, in F1. So I think, you know, more areas that have that type of consistency, the better really um, when it comes to knowing what to expect at each track and how different incidents like that will be treated, I suppose, um, which, yeah, and again, from a safety perspective, really interesting to hear that that's how they approach it. That's very, very cool. Finally, let's talk about the fan experience. So if there's someone who's listening to us thinking, Ash, Freya, this sounds amazing and just what I need to whet my motorsport appetite during the F1 break, what are just a couple of things that you think would be really good to kind of keep in mind as you are watching your first indie race. All the things I mentioned. Sure. It's, it's also a lot to take in, right? You're learning a new sports. Uh, there are similarities to formula one, but again, <laughs> mm. don't be afraid to, if you're able to like pause and on your television or wherever you're watching or stream and Google the thing you have a question about. Like just, that's how I've kind of learned a lot of motorsports. It's like, I don't, yeah. I, mean, I don't know what this guy's talking about. Endurance race. Why are there six, why are there so many classes? <laughs> He's P1 in his class, but P15 in the race. That doesn't make any sense. Um, so like, don't be afraid to pause and like, just Google it or <laughs> ask someone that you know that watches IndyCar. Um, that'd be my biggest piece of advice. And also, or you can just like watch it and then Google it afterwards. But essentially the big thing is just do your research and don't be afraid to ask questions online, um, whether that's yeah. reaching out to whomever you want that watches IndyCar. Shoot, if you want to DM me, I'll, I'll answer questions. And again, I might, I don't know everything about IndyCar. Shoot, someone's probably gonna be like, she got that wrong. That's not how you qualify in ovals at all. And I'll be like, oh no, I've been watching <laughs> the race around the entire time. But um, yeah, Google has a lot of answers. IndyCar website, they have like IndyCar 101 
uh, things like that. Um, a lot of people on Twitter who love IndyCar, some people live tweet the races. There's a lot of IndyCar podcasts too. But for watching, yeah, just just don't be afraid to pause or just like Google that question that you have. You're not going to know all the drivers, all the teams, like exactly what's going on. It's definitely overwhelming at first. But um, if you remember starting to watch Formula One, we all were just like, oh, this is cool, fast cars. And then you start kind of slowly learning by watching more. So even if it's highlights, if you don't want to dedicate yourself to a full race because you don't know if you'll like it, then just jump into the highlights and and see what you can get from there. You kind of watch it and it's like, there's seven hours yeah. of my life I'm not getting Oh, IndyCar back. races like, are not long, which is like nice. It. They're similar to like Formula One races. So you'll be, don't worry. You're not going to be, I'm not going to okay. try to spread the word of NASCAR just yet because then you'll be sitting downstairs in your couch for like three to four <laughs> hours. Um, but no, no, IndyCar is pretty... Robust. We do have several NASCAR supporters who listen to our podcasts. Yeah, we've actually we went when we went to um, Miami last year. Went and met quite a few of them. So uh, yeah, we've we've got all sorts who listen to Lakeside Drive. Don't you worry about yes. that. And finally, if that same dear listener who is saying, "Okay, great, I've watched my first race. I'm hooked. This is awesome," and they think, "I'm doing it. I'm going to go to a race." What would you recommend for a first-time race-goer to, again, keep in mind as they plan their race experience? Sure. Um, I Asking for a friend. Asking for a friend. <laughs> I think uh, 12, <laughs> kids 12 and under for free with an adult with a ticket. So if you're an adult and you buy yourself a ticket and you have someone who's 12 and younger, they come in for free with you. Oh, it's just a different level of accessibility that we're not seeing in F1 at the moment, um, particularly for obviously the US races, which do seem to be, we've talked about this on the podcast before, kind of targeting a very different audience um, in terms of who it is that they want to see in their stands and who will be able to be in their stands. So I think it's really um, obviously you can add on to this an international flight from Australia for all of our Aussie listeners. But for those who might be finding themselves in the region or for our listeners who are already in the US, it is just a different level of access. Um, oh, absolutely. A much more reasonable, um, much more reasonable entry point, I suppose, even for those higher access um Kind of opportunities, which is very cool for all of us who are not millionaires. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I also recommend, I mean, like then you have the basic stuff, so make sure you just like sunscreen earplugs, which I think people always forget to, talk, to uh, consider mm. for North American racing series. And they, they maybe do it in Formula One. They, I, Coda does as well. I should shout out Coda because um, they, they partner with a lot of local vendors, um, St. Petersburg, um, when you go to NASCAR races, especially outside the track for NASCAR, you don't even have to get into the track to like have a good time. You have local vendors, you have local breweries, local um, like food trucks come out. Like everyone's like, it's your community that is putting this together. It is your local racetrack. So I always say yeah. like support your local racetrack yeah. um, and like go out there and you're supporting local restaurants, you're supporting local businesses and things like that during these kind of race weekends. And especially when you have downtown for IndyCar, I mean, like you have all the the food and everything else right outside and everything is done by the track who employs inside your, your community. So that's something important to you. I, that's why I always love going to races. Cause not only do you meet people from your community, um, a lot of people who travel, I mean, oh my gosh, people from the Indy 500 for the Indy 500 travels from all over the world. Um, yeah, but I am looking at, I couldn't find anything for Nashville, which maybe it's cause it's a very fancy street race. But still, tickets were 100 bucks for three days or 125 for three days. But here yeah. for the next race weekend, for if you want to combo pit, if you want to buy a NASCAR IndyCar combo pit pass for three days, that will cost you $150. Uh, 
So you get pit access um, one hour prior to the green flag on race day. You're not saying that in Formula One. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay. You're just like, I'm just, you're like, oh, I'm just walking by this car. <laughs> or you can do a hundred yeah. bucks for whichever, for a two day, if you want, like whatever the real preference yeah. is. When it comes to the supporters and for you as well, do you find that fans support a team or a driver or both? Uh, similar to, I mean, your your NASCAR viewers will understand some people support manufacturers, right? Like I am a Ford person through and through. I mean, not me, but some yeah. people will say that. Yeah. But yeah, you have people yeah. who support, like yeah. I am a Penske person who regardless of who's on Penske. So I, honestly, I would say it's a, a mix. As we're learning more about mm-hmm. driver personalities or they're doing a much better job of showcasing those driver personalities, I would say I'm seeing people lean towards drivers like Paddle Award, Alex Pillow. Scott McLaughlin. Hmm. However, um, I still think currently it's like a good mix of I'm a I'm a Penske person, Chip Ganassi, yeah. and then drivers. Interesting. Very interesting. I always find that a little bit fascinating because we're seeing such a shift in, in F1 in terms of people's preference towards driver support over team support. Um, and I just wonder if the, that is having a similar movement in other motorsports as well. Um, it sounds like there, there might be, as you say, because they're doing things like 100 Day to Indy and things like that, which are very much bringing supporters a bit closer to the individuals, even though it's not quite as much of a closed shop as we see in F1. All right, that's all I have on my 101 list, Ash. Where can our listeners find you online? Um What's your Instagram handle? Where can they come and check out all the awesome work that you're doing? Yeah, um, my everything. Uh, <laughs> Twitch, Instagram. Um, <laughs> if you want to join our Discord, it's under Ash Vanley, A-S-H-V-A-N-D-E-L-A-Y. And that is a Seinfeld reference. So, um, yeah, it's all under the, the same name. Fantastic. And we can't wait to see everything that you're doing with Red Bull for the rest of this year and beyond. It's so fun seeing teams like that bring in uh, content creators and just getting totally different uh, I suppose perspectives on what's going on in and around the scene so absolutely love your work there Ash thank you so much for joining me and educating me a bit on Indy ahead of my first race I really appreciate it thank you for having me this was awesome Sports Social Podcast Network